Welcome to the Conscious Woman Podcast. This is your host, Pavna Dur. Our goal with this podcast is to bring you interesting and insightful conversations on a range of topics that will support you in both living and leading more consciously. From conscious leadership and conscious inclusion to conscious eating, conscious parenting and conscious fashion. This podcast is in conjunction with the leadership development work that we do to support women leaders in leading with mindfulness and compassion. To learn more, please go to shinomics.com. I am so happy I get to bring you all a conversation with a dear mentor of mine who has influenced my ideas on success and happiness more than any other in the personal development space. And that is Dr. Shrikumar Rao. His ideas are deep and unconventional, but once you absorb the full power of his words, they are sure to transform the way you think and behave. Dr. Rao holds a PhD from Columbia Business School and his courses have been among the most popular and highest rated at many of the world's top business schools. His work has been covered extensively by major media worldwide. He's the creator of the powerful best-selling course Creativity and Personal Mastery and he is also an author of multiple best-selling books including his most recent book that we dive into on this episode Modern Wisdom Ancient Roots in which he distills the wisdom of ancient masters into strategies that you and I can apply to succeed in work and in life Welcome everyone to the Conscious Woman podcast. I am beyond excited to welcome my guest for today, Dr. Shri Kumar Rao, who I consider to be a mentor because it would be no exaggeration for me to say that his ideas have transformed my life, the way I think, the way I work, the way I think about ideas like success and happiness. And I'm so excited that we get to have this conversation today because Dr. Rao has shared so many of these ideas that I have found to be so moving and transformational in his latest book, Modern Wisdom Ancient Roots. and i would love to discuss these ideas with him today so welcome dr rao i am so delighted to be speaking to you today thank you pavda and i might add that i am delighted to be on your show again i thoroughly enjoyed the last time we met and i have absolutely no doubt that this is going to be another really exciting and fun visit Thank you. Thank you. Before we even started recording as we were catching up, I mentioned to you Dr. Rao how you in all your wisdom and grace had given me a really useful piece of advice exactly a year ago when I had asked you how I can make a bigger impact in the world and what you had shared was Pavna what you need to do is simply get out of your own way because if you do the work will start happening more and more through you and it won't happen from you or by you and to be honest it has taken me a very long time to fully understand that fully comprehend that and work from that space but i would love to begin by asking you what you meant by that because i imagine there are a lot of people who would be watching this or listening to this who equally want to be success, successful want to make them in the world and i think this advice would apply to everyone oh absolutely it would apply to everyone pop okay 
Think about how most of us live our lives. Most of us live our lives the following way. I set a goal for myself. I tried very hard. I succeeded. Life's a blast. Or I set a goal for myself. I worked very hard. I failed. Life sucks. We live our life oscillating on a sinusoidal curve between elation and despair and we spend more time at the despair end of the spectrum. It's a lousy day to live. Now, a moment's reflection will reveal to you that whether or not you achieve your goal is not under your control. You think it is under your control. If I want to reach my goal, all I have to do is come up with a good plan and execute well on that good plan. And if I do that, I'll reach my goal. Not so. How many times have you done exactly what needed to be done? But some X factor, something you could not even have dreamed of suddenly through all of your plans into a cocked hat. I'm a, I'm a tennis nut, so is my wife. We haven't been to Wimbledon. So in 2020, I bought tickets to Wimbledon. They were very expensive because they were the final round tickets. And at that time, if somebody had said, Srikumar, you won't be able to save Wimbledon, then I've said, yeah, perhaps possible. But in my head would have been something like, perhaps somebody close to me fell ill so I couldn't go or something like that. I would never have imagined that the tournament itself would be canceled and there would be no planes flying between New York and London. Unexpected stuff happens all the time, Bhavna. So when you think I did it, you're actually killing yourself. So if you don't have control, but you let your well-being tied up to something that you don't control, you're frequently down, depressed. Why would you choose to live a life like that? There is an alternative and the alternative is set a goal for yourself. But once you have set a goal, you have established the direction. And once the direction has been established, forget about the goal. Put all of the actions, put all of your emotional energy into the activities that you have to undertake to meet the goal. If you succeed, fantastic. If you don't succeed, fantastic. And the reason for that, Bhavna, is the benefit of setting a goal and trying our level best to reach the goal is not reaching the goal. It is the learning and growth that happen in us and to us as we try our level best to reach the goal. If we actually reach the goal, that's a bonus. Be grateful. If you don't reach the goal, the learning and growth have happened. So it's a it absolutely cannot lose proposition. And when you approach life that way, two things happen. Number one, you begin to enjoy the journey. The destination, the outcome is a mirage. You get there, you tarry a few minutes and you're off somewhere else. The journey is with you always. The journey is the only thing you have. So when you work like this, you begin to enjoy the journey. And paradoxically, when you are not particularly concerned about whether or not you reach a particular outcome, the likelihood that the outcome will be reached increases and increases quite a bit. So in your case, instead of going out desperately and trying to make things happen, oh, I've got to get the best guests, I've got to get the best guests to say the most profound things, I've got to make sure everybody hears it, let it happen. Don't try to make it happen. Allow it to happen. And when you allow it to happen, you will be surprised at how well things go. 
Think of Roger Federer, if you've ever seen him play, how effortlessly he seems to hit the ball. He's not doing anything. The ball is there and he's there. The racket is exactly where it needs to be. Poised to deliver that crushing backhand or down the line, a stroke. Visualize that as a metaphor. Allow things to happen. Don't make things happen. Don't try to make things. Of course you have an intent. Of course you have preferences. Of course you work hard. But the effort of striving drops away. And that's when you find every day is a blast and things happen. Yeah, and the anxiety and that feeling of stress and overwhelm also starts to diminish. Exactly. Uh, once, once you occupy that space, I've definitely felt that shift. What I find to be so powerful about your work is your ideas are unconventional in the sense that if you read the work of other leading thinkers and thought leaders in the personal development space and you listen to what they have to say about success, the conventional wisdom is you work hard and you aim high and what sometimes what you appear to be saying feels like it's the opposite but when you realize the truth of it, it just makes so much sense. Absolutely it does because I draw from the great masters. They understood the human predicament. They came up with solutions that have been tested over millennia and they absolutely... All I've done is I've taken their teachings and adapted them so they're acceptable to intelligent people in a post-industrial society. So I'm a translator. I like to think I'm a good translator, but the wisdom is all theirs. One of the foundational principles of your work, Dr. Rao, is this idea of mental models. I've heard you speak so many times of this idea of we're all in a sense living in a matrix. We have our own construction of reality and that reality that we see, that we perceive, that we experience is is in a large part a function of the mental models or these invisible rules that are governing our thinking and our perceptions. So my question to you would be, could you first of all give us an example of a mental model um, and how do we become aware of them? Because that's really the big challenge. A, becoming aware of what are these mental models that I'm using and then doing the work of changing them. Let me preface that, Bhavna, by elaborating on what you just mentioned. We don't live in a real world. We live in a construct. We think we're living in a real world, but we're not. Every one of us is living in the matrix. Only it's not a matrix created by an alien civilization out to enslave us. It's created by our own mental chatter and mental models. I'll give you an example. I'd gone with a friend when I was in college to to the Cape Cod. It was the first time I'd come to America and he had a job in the sport and said, hey, Sri Kumar, why don't you come on? And went there. And I discovered all kinds of things that I never knew existed. There's this thing called mini golf and it seems such fun to play mini golf and the Ferris wheels and or carnival fair attractions. And I was completely enthralled with all of that. But my friend, who had a similar background, he was also new to the States, and thanks to him, I was in Cape Cod in Hyannisport enjoying all of that. He walked around with a very glum face. He had broken up with his girlfriend. 
And here it was, and it was a absolutely gorgeous summer's day, and the ocean was blue, and we had one of those paddle boats, and we could go out on the ocean. And I was all thrilled, and he was looking at that, and he was all glum. He was thinking about his girlfriend, how bad it was. Completely morose, sit down. Beautiful, beautiful day, but all he was doing was thinking about his girlfriend. We do that all the time, Pavna. We live in our minds. We do not live in the real world. Now, I had a model. It's a gorgeous, sunny day. I'm healthy. We're going out in a paddle boat, feeling the ocean. The winds on my face. How wonderful! And he had a model for life is terrible. I don't know if she'll see me again. I really love her. What can I do? We're living in different worlds. At the same time, right next to each other, we are always living in our minds. We are not living in the real world. And the first, most important thing you can do is recognize that this is happening. There is this incessant stream of thought you have in your head. That's mental chatter. And these mental chat, this mental chatter, both comes from your mental models. And it reinforces and creates your old mental models and creates new mental models. They kind of work on each other, with each other, and together they become an unstoppable force. And your entire life is governed by that. You're here. We're having a beautiful conversation, and then something happens, and you say, "Oh my God, there's been a terrible accident outside. It's down," and your thought goes off down there. And then you follow up with, "What impact is this going to have upon the policing around here? And is it going to affect my driveway?" Oh, you know, all kinds of thoughts pop into your head, and this happens all the time. So the first rule, if you're going to bring your life somewhat under control, is to recognize that you have this stream going on in your head. And it's possible because, as I talk about it, you can recognize: yes, I have mental chatter going on. Now, understand that mental chatter is like clouds in the sky. You go out and look up at the sky, and there are clouds. And you take a short walk and look up again, and those clouds are gone, but there are new clouds. Mental chatter is just like the clouds; they are there. The problem is not that we have mental chatter. The problem is that we identify with our mental chatter. And when you identify with your mental chatter, they grab you by the throat and take you to all kinds of places, many of which you do not want to go in. So, if you want to gain some degree of control over that, recognize that you are not your mental chatter, and spend hours, days, witnessing your mental chatter as opposed to being your mental chatter. That's the first step. It's the most important step. It's very easy to begin. It's enormously difficult to keep at it because you start observing your mental chatter, and in seconds something happens, and you're no longer a witness, but you become your mental chatter. So you have to practice that. That's why that's the foundation exercise, if you recall, of、yeah. my course, Creativity and Personal Mastery. And Bhavna, this is the rest of your life exercise. It's not I'm going to do it for a week and then I'm on top of it. This is the rest of your life exercise. Yes, yes. Coming back to your book, Modern Wisdom: Ancient Roots, and the subtitle is "A Movers and Shakers Guide for Unstoppable Success." So I'd love to pull out 
some common mental models as they relate to success. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on how we can perhaps reframe or change them. Just today, in fact, I was having a conversation with a group of women and I was essentially asked, talking to them about what they feel is getting in their way of doing what they really want to do. And most of them essentially cited the common fears that we all have. So I'm afraid of what the outcome might be. I'm afraid, what if I fail? I'm afraid of judgment. I'm afraid of what people might think. I'm afraid of rejection. Is there something else that we should be doing so that they don't get in our way? Yes, there is. And this is part of the CPM course and you experience that it comes towards the end. It's a comment made by Einstein. Oh, we revere Einstein because he was a great scientist, and he was. He discovered the, or formulated the theory of relativity, discovered the photoelectric effect. That's why he got the Nobel Prize, by the way, for discovering the photoelectric effect, not for the theory of relativity. But Einstein was also a philosopher who had a pretty deep understanding of the way the universe works. And the question he posed was, or the statement he made was, the most important question you will ever ask yourself, is the universe friendly? Let me repeat that. The most important question you will ever ask yourself, is the universe friendly? Now, the vast majority of us believe the universe is neither friendly nor unfriendly. It's indifferent. It doesn't know I exist and couldn't care less. And here I am going around doing my thing. There's the universe going around doing its thing. Sometimes it seems to work for me. Sometimes it seems to work against me. But essentially, it's a random process. What if the universe was aware of your existence? And what if the universe was well disposed towards you? Friends don't shaft friends, right? So if the universe was well disposed towards you, why does it give you stuff you don't want? You want to go off on vacations and cruises and the universe gives you pandemics and lockdowns. What if the universe doesn't give you what you want, but it gives you exactly what you need for your learning and growth? You're a small child, you want a tub of ice cream, but your parents give you fruits and vegetables and you don't want fruits and vegetables. You want a tub of ice cream, but the universe through your parents gives you fruits and vegetables. And it isn't until you have a much higher level of maturity and wisdom that you can say, thank God I got fruits and vegetables. What if the universe was exactly like that? It gives you what you don't necessarily want, but exactly what you need. If you think about this, it becomes immediately obvious that regardless of whether or not the universe is benevolent, if you believe that it was your friend, your experience of life would become immeasurably and what if the universe actually was your friend? Then magic happens in your life. So with regard to your members who talk about fear, who talk about anxiety, if they can really get, into, get it into their heads that the universe is their friend, it's working with them, then all of those fears drop away. They're not existing. The universe is your friend. What do I have to be scared about? Now, here is the thing, just because the universe is friendly is a mental model. Now, just because you recognize that a mental model is superior to the one that you're using, doesn't necessarily mean you can adopt it. You actually have to work at uh, making the universe your friend. So how do you do that? 
actually it's very simple bhavna what you have to do is get yourself a notebook call it your miracles notebook or your universe's friendly notebook and look for signs that the universe is your friend and there are so many of these once you start looking for it like for example you know when my book came out and it's already been an amazon bestseller in various categories it's doing quite well in america it's going to be on all the airports starting january 1 that's because the persons who do these things said january 1 is everybody is when everybody decides new year resolution i'm going to change my life around and your book is perfect for that so let's put it on those shelves in january 1 i'm okay with that so all of that is happening organically and then i thought gee I'd like to have my book in India, and then client, a coaching client of mine, introduced me to someone, and then you just introduced me to someone else, and things are happening organically. Now, I can put it down as it's a coincidence. Of course, you know so many people, and they know people, so obviously this is going to happen, which is a dismissal. But if you look at it and say miracle, I wanted something and it happened, then it is a miracle. When you start looking for signs like that, you'll see. so many dozens of signs that the universe is friendly record all of them note them down when you note it down and start thinking about it you reach a personal tipping point and in that personal tipping point you begin to wonder if there are so many signs that the universe is friendly is it possible that i was wrong and the universe really is friendly that's the time for you to redouble your effort and very soon you'll tip over into the world where the universe is friendly and every time it gives you things that you don't want you stumble on a staircase fall down and break your leg oh okay now i'm supposed to learn some lesson from it what's the lesson i have to learn and how quickly i can your attitude towards these things changes that's when you find that you have tipped over into a friendly universe and your experience of life is transformed So if you're saying what will they think of me I am afraid will this work or will this not work hey it's a friendly universe go off you can't would it be fair to say that the fundamental shift we are making there is from hope to faith instead of hoping things will work out hoping i will get what i want having the faith that i live in a benevolent universe the universe has my back and i will if good things happen great if it doesn't if it's not what i initially imagined that's okay i take the learnings from that and and i use it for my growth and move on it actually goes deeper than that path now because faith i don't know if it's true or not but i'm going to believe that it's true because my parents said so because my religious teachers mm-hmm. said so because the holy book says so and that's a wonderful start but i'm not talking about faith i'm talking about knowledge about the this is not that i believe this is but this is so that belief that knowledge jumps faith faith is when you place your reliance on something or somebody else the gita says the bible says so therefore it must be true that's faith But this is comes from a deep inner knowledge which is deeper than faith so what you have to do is begin the process as i've outlined get yourself a journal note down the ways in which the universe is friendly and eventually it's no longer faith it's knowledge yes 
that yes. helps faith. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's almost a con it's a conviction born out of knowledge. It's and, no longer yes. this is and sometimes you as you go on this journey, you get it. You have the unerring feeling. I know this is going to happen. And yes, it does. All right. You have shared so many incredible ideas in your book, some of which definitely affirm what people may already want to believe. Others, I have to say, lo very lovingly, like I think as someone had once said, the truth will set you free, but first it will make you really mad. So, so, or something along those lines. Because you read what you're sharing and the initial reaction is one of if not anger of resistance of do i just do i really want to believe this is this true just to give you an example one of the one of the chapters that i love is where you say and again this goes against conventional thinking because most people would say you are special you are in fact you should believe you're ex extraordinary so you build this confidence in yourself and yet here you are in this chapter, you say you are not special. And not only are you not special, you should feel grateful that you are not special. So tell us more about what you mean by that. Oh, think about how much time and energy we devote to being special. Our parents hug us and say, oh, you're the most beautiful baby in the world. How nice. And you don't really quite understand that, but it comes with love and affection and you like that love and affection and you cuddle up. And then you go to school and there are other babies whose parents think they are the most special in the world. So a twinge of jealousy comes in and you have to be more special. You have to excel in one way or the other. And our school systems, they're meaning perhaps, but everybody gets a star so you can go home and show it to your parents and everybody gets some kind of an award for something so nobody gets it. So there's all this industry really sent to make you feel special. And then you try hard to maintain that specialness. You have to excel and do things so that your parents think highly of you and say, ah, Baba, look at my baby, how she has done. And that takes up an enormous amount of your emotional energy and your physical energy in terms of effort. And all it does is build up your ego. No matter where you go, there is someone who is better than you. Or if there is not someone who's better than you, you're going to age and your talents are going to drop and that person will overtake you. Roger Federer for years was at the top of his field and then slowly Kovic and Nadal chipped away and now Nadal has more grand singles grand slams than anyone and Djokovic is close behind and both of them are ahead of Federer. And all of them are in their 30s and you have this young guy Alcaraz who's coming up and who knows he might overtake all of them. There is always someone who is better, there is always someone who will accomplish more. And that is wonderful. Don't get hung up on that because if you really want to have peace, calm, serenity in your life, it'll come when you recognize that none of these matter. The only thing that matters is your relationship with who you really are and who you really are is pure spirit. 
You're not a body-mind intellect complex called Bhavna who's living in Singapore, who has a son whom she dotes on, whose husband works for Google. That is a soap opera. That's a story you're telling yourself. You're embedded in that story, so by all means enjoy it, but recognize that your nature is I am, your awareness. This is a soap opera. Enjoy it. Now, in your quest to be special, I am special, I want this, what it's simply doing is it's getting you embedded more and more deeply into your soap opera. And the purpose of life is to get out of that embedding, to realize that you're free. So what we're doing is precisely the wrong thing. You're special in the same way that a grain of sand on a beach is special. It's there. One day is going to get washed off to the sea, whatever. It's a, be happy, be grateful. You're part of this glorious universe. So don't try to be apart from others and inculcate and build on your, quote, specialness. Just recognize, hey, you've got some talent and you'll use them. And other people have other talents. Some are great magicians. Some do great card tricks. Some are better singers. Some play the guitar. Celebrate and enjoy all of them. They're neither better nor worse. They just are. Yes. Just like you, you just are. And when you do that, you will find an immense freedom because you're no longer putting on airs. You're no longer striving to be special. You just are. As Ramakrishna said, the job of a flower is to bloom. When the flower blooms, the bee will find it. The rose doesn't get proud because, you know, I'm a beautiful rose. I'm more beautiful than this rose next to me, which bloomed earlier, so it's now shedding. Nor does it compare itself to the bud and say, oh, tomorrow this rose is going to bloom and it'll be better than I am. How sad. No, the rose blooms. It's yeah. effortless. That's what life should be like. Just concentrate on blooming. Stop trying to be special. You share so many of such w wisdom bombs, if you will, in your book. I'd love to know of the 60 that you've shared in this book in particular, which ones did you initially struggle with the most and it took you a while to come around and fully appreciate the truth of? All of them, Bhavna. All of those are so counterintuitive. I grew up like most of your listeners i got to go off, I've got to accomplish, I've got to do this. And I was fortunate, I was a good student, so I went to the very best institutions in India and then the world. I went to Stephen's College, Delhi University, I did my MBA at I, the Indian Institute of Management, Ahmedabad, all premier institutions. Then I did my PhD at Columbia Business School, one of the great business schools in the world. I taught at many top schools at Columbia, at London Business School, at Berkeley, at Kellogg, at Imperial College. Oh, yeah, see, I've got to be good because all of these great institutions have hired me to teach at those and to have these bright students for that. All of that was basically ego-driven. And uh, it was great when it was there. But ultimately, anything which is ego-driven is accompanied by fear and lack. Fear that it will go away and lack because there's always someone who's better. There's a more famous professor who has bigger clients, who is more well-known, cited more widely. It's climbing up a greased pole. 
you go up trying desperately and then you slip down just as easily. So letting go of all of that is something that I knew intellectually, but it wasn't a part of my life. It was effort. Yeah, I got to let this go. But how the hell do I let it go when I have this fierce driving ambition? But the way it happens is the more you think about it, the more comfortable you are. And one day you're not thinking about it. It's become a part of you. That's how inner work always happens. You get an idea. It, look at this way. Let's assume you're eating corn on the cob and you really like it. But then a fiber sticks between your teeth and you don't have any floss to get it out. So it's stuck between your teeth. What does your tongue do? It keeps going there constantly nagging at it. And yeah. one day the fiber comes off, right? Exactly like that. These ideas that I'm sharing are like bits of crystal that get in between your teeth and with your tongue, you keep exploring until it finally comes free. So as you keep thinking about all of these, the ideas start making sense. And one day they stop making intellectual sense, but start making visceral sense. That's when you know that you have turned a chapter and you are on a different stage of life and experience again. Yeah. Yes. Keep thinking about it again and again. Shankara is a great Indian philosophy. A philosopher put it beautifully. He said it in Sanskrit, Manasi Vichin, keep thinking about this over and over. When we look at what most people want, I think we're all very similar in that in this one short precious life that we have, we're looking for a little bit of happiness, a little bit of success. You, of course, shared so many insights on how one can live better. But if someone was to think about a good place to begin, what among your many learnings would you offer to someone who is beginning this path and just needs a good place to begin? What I want to say begin with a very simple exercise and that exercise is designed to help you have a terrific day every day. Would you like that? Do you think your listeners would like that? Yes. Actually, it's very simple to have a terrific day every day. And all you have to do is get up in the morning and decide that you are going to have a terrific day. Now, most of us make a huge mistake and this mistake prevents us from having a terrific day. And the mistake we make is we think that in order for us to have a terrific day, two things must happen. Number one, stuff should happen that I want to have happen. And number two, stuff should not happen that I don't want to have happen. Neither of those is within your control. So recognize that up front. So if you're smart, what you're going to do is say, I'm going to have a terrific day. And in my terrific day, feces is inevitably going to fall from the sky. <laughs> right up front, I'm going to budget two hours. And in those two hours, I'm going to clean up the feces that's going to fall from the sky. And I'm going to have a terrific time doing it. This is going to be part of my terrific day. And then you'll have a terrific day every day. Understand. Let's assume you have an important meeting at work and... You know, you're getting ready to go, but your son throws a tantrum. No, I'm not going to school. I'm not going to have breakfast. And you try hard and finally eats a little bit. And you give him lunch and pack him off in the school bus and say, thank God, I'm late for my meeting. And you get in. And as you get into your car and go off, somebody sideswipes you and leaves a long scratch on your brand new car and breaks your rearview mirror outside. And then he disappears. So you don't even get his license. 
and you curse and you get to work and obviously now you're very late and your important client has canceled the meeting and you can't reschedule it because his secretary says he's thinking it over. Oh, it's become a terrible day. Only if you let it. So if you look at the scratch in a car, if you look at your son's tantrum and say, am I going to let you steal my terrific day from me? And you say, no, I'm not going to let you steal my terrific day from me. And all of a sudden you continue having a terrific day. But in that terrific day, you now have to make an appointment with the car's body shop to get that fixed. Maybe you'll get a loaner or you'll have to make other arrangements. You'll call up the teacher and say, hey, how's my son doing? He had a rough morning. Is he? It wasn't something you planned, but it's part of cleaning up the faces that's fallen from the sky. But you'll continue having a terrific day if you decide you're going to have a terrific day and you're not going to let all of this steal your terrific day from you. So all of these events, treat them as they were a person and ask them, will I let you steal my terrific day for me? And if you do that, you'll be surprised at how many things you can decide. No, I'm not going to let you steal my terrific day for me. I'm just going to do what I need to do. It's really that simple. It's not easy, but if you try it conscientiously day after day, You'll be surprised at how much progress you make in a relatively short time, within a month. And you'll start having more great days than you ever did. So to sum it up, we can all be radiantly alive, as you say, if we can learn to observe our mental models, change them, have the conviction that we are living in a benevolent universe. Just focus on being instead of striving and and just allow things to come our way, believing that everything that comes our way will eventually serve, will be a tool for our learning and Absolutely. growth. Everything that come, happens in your life is a tool for your learning and growth. All right. Final question for you, Dr. Rao. We call this the Conscious Woman Podcast because one of one of the core principles, our core messages we want to spread through this podcast is that we can all choose to show up more consciously with the values we choose to live and work with. I'm curious to know what are those values for you that you consciously practice every day? That's a very good question, Pavana. I guess the closest thing is there are persons who are great sages and the earth has benefited just by the fact that they were there. A contemporary sage is Ramana Maharshi. There are others like Nisarkadatta Maharaj who's even more contemporary and Ramakrishna who's slightly behind. But these are all people who knew the truths that I have enunciated to you and they all expressed it in their own inimitable fashion. And what I'm doing is I'm spending more and more of my time going through their works and I've gone through them before and I know, quote unquote, what all they said, but they operate at many different levels. And what is once a cognitive exercise is now becoming a visceral grounding. And I can feel that process is not only happening, but it's accelerating. And whatever it is that I can do to help, I will. I'm not striving and making it happen. I'm just giving opportunities for it to grow. And 
increasingly I'm called to do that, so I'm doing it. Many of the things that I'm discussed with you are things that I previously would not have mentioned. And I would not have mentioned because there was judgment in my head. Oh, they won't understand that or they'll think I'm a weird religious nut or something like that. And now I just share it because this is it. And if you find it valuable, by all means, examine, adopt it. If you don't find it valuable, God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Move on. And now I'm really not thinking about the impact. I'm like Johnny Appleseed. I'm scattering the seeds. Some will land on fertile ground, become east and eventually forests, and some will land on rock and wither away, and I don't know which is which. So I'll just be Johnny Appleseed and scatter the seeds, and whichever one's supposed to germinate, fertilize, and grow, will. And that's fine. I just want to thank you, Dr. Rao, for, for everything that you do and for the ideas that you put out in the world. As I said before, they've been incredibly transformational for me. So I owe a huge debt of gratitude to you. And I know through your books, your programs, your courses, it, you're going to continue to touch and transform so many more lives. So I wish you well on that journey. And thank you so much for spending Thank you, Pavna. I wish you well too. Mm-hmm. Thank a you. A big virtual hug to you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you found the conversation to be insightful. If you did, please do leave us a review as that would be most helpful in helping others discover this podcast as well. To learn more about the work that we do, please go to shinomics.com. We look forward to having you tune in again for future episodes. Until then, may you be well, may you be happy, and may you be at peace. Like this Sochcast? Tune in for more with the Sochcast app from the Google Play Store.